0: chats from the blog cabin this is your favorite time of the week with your number one podcast
1: Welcome back to another episode of Chats from the Blog Cabin. You know, the show where I virtually invite people into the blog cabin to chat about life. And today we're chatting with Sheila, who wrote, the author of a guided journal, My World Fall of Awakening, How Lost Can Bring You Home to the Life You Want. Oh, where am I at here? Um, <laughs> Sheila, welcome to the show. Before I get into it, I want to say that I've never read a book that has resonated with my soul like this book. It has. I felt like you were writing my story when you were writing your story as well.
2: Oh, my goodness. Thanks so much for sharing that. That was really my hope when I wrote this book.
1: So tell us a little bit about yourself before we get into the book.
2: So, yeah, so I, um, I'm in the process of retiring from a 40-year career in the insurance industry. So uh, what I have been doing for the last several decades are, is, has nothing to do or doesn't look at all like what, uh, what this particular part of my journey is. I've been married a couple times. I have an adult son. Um, I've lived in Michigan for the last 20-some-odd years, and, uh, and I began the journey that we're talking about today uh, just over four years ago.
1: Wow. But you had a lot to unpack in that journey of four years because there's a lot. Even the, I mean, I'm halfway through the book because this isn't a book that you actually go through and you skim through it and you read it real quick. It's one that you sit and you thought, you have to think and ponder about some of the things. But there was one quote that really got me. And I was like, I right, wrote me beside it. I read it a couple of times in the book, but this one really, because I felt like it summed up my relationship with my mom because I too have a very weird relationship with my mom. And it says, I never thought that I could celebrate or enjoy anything I accomplished. And I never felt good enough, even in the face of success after success. Don't get a big head, my mother whispered at every turn. So I was humble. I had no recognition of how I impacted the world. All these events reinforced that I was not good enough. And I was like, wow. Wow. Yeah. So, why did you decide to write this book and to put it out in the world all your life? Because there is like some really harsh stuff that happened to you, like with your parents and not feeling loved by your mom and things like that.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, since you've you know you're into the book, you know that my mother's death was really what spurred my journey to begin. Um, I was given back a ton of time because I've been her caregiver, um, and I really. As as the journey unfolded, um, I began to realize that I just needed to stay open to what was next. Hmm. That I had to start asking myself when something appeared in front of me, do I want this or is this a should? Is this? Um, and then as I paid more attention to those things as they happened, more and more things started to open up in front of me. And and if, you know the things like the retreat and. Buying a house in France, and you know, there's there's a lot of things that came along in the last four years, and I'm selling my business, and and uh, getting ready to retire uh, from that. But a couple of years into the journey, um, I actually had a reading by an astrologer, and mm-hmm. he says, he said Sheila, he said there's a book. I'm like, there's not a book, and he's no. He says, I, there's a book, and I'm like, all right. So, so, I didn't think anything of it. And not that much later than that, I um, I met, was introduced to a writing coach, and she is uh, really focuses on uh, inspired writing. Her name's Judy McNutt, and she uh, she and I chatted for about an hour, and she said, Sheila, I think your book's already, already written. She said, I think you really just need to sit down and start writing. And, um, that was in August of last year. And by December it was done. I mean, it really did just yeah. pour out of me all of these things. And that helped set up what the next thing for me is going to be because the book itself is really intended to help other women kind of reflect mm-hmm. as I have reflected, uh, if they so desire, um, and allows me to step into supporting that process.
1: I love that. And I love the fact that you said you were, you were looking at things that you should do, not things that you want to do. Like there were so many, um, restrictions placed on you. You should do this. You should do this. You should do this. You should be a good daughter. You should be a good wife. You should be, you know, the moneymaker or whatever. However, everybody has all these shoulds placed on it. How did you escape from all those shoulds?
2: Well, I started peeling away things. Um, the first, very first thing I started peeling away was, was relationships. Um, that I I literally put my friends uh, or my social circle I guess maybe I should uh, talk about uh, more because more broadly with that into three buckets um, and I did that during my retreat that was one of the first things that came to me and I I labeled the three columns nurtures my soul is neutral to my soul and sucks the life out of me
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> I love that. <laughs>
2: And I really spent some time shaping, um, shaping who was in those who was in those three columns, and where they could move or where, you know what what was standing in the way of us having a nurturing, mutually you know supportive relationship. And a lot of the time that I was spending was with people um, that it really wasn't a give and take type of a relationship. And so it became a should. And because I'm a very social creature, I spent a lot of time doing that, and so that was one of the first thing I, things I recognized because none of this is simple. For each one of us, there's there's that thing we piled on forever, right? And um, for me, one of the big things too was um, I've always played the piano, and I began to realize that I always played the piano because I should, not because I particularly wanted to, and because I was good at it. I kept playing and Mm -hmm. and so giving yourself the space to give up things that have just sort of filled your life without thought is really sort of the exercise that 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 I undertook and and so as as I created more space in my life by taking away those things new things appeared and I was able to embrace and then I would pick it up and I would look at it and say, do I want this or is this a test that I've got another should coming in <laughs> and, and having to uh, and having to make those decisions. But its I don't want to say in any way it's simple and it t- it's taken me years.
1: And you're still probably going through the process as well, correct?
2: And just when you think you're all done, something pops up. <laughs>
1: Now, you mentioned the piano. There's a part in the book where you talk about your piano teacher would would get mad because you wouldn't practice as often as she thought you were practicing. Even though you played everything pretty much perfectly, she still was like down on you because you didn't practice as like she thought you should. So let's talk about that experience and how that shaped you.
2: Well, that's a great question, because because really you start doing things to please people versus doing things. To, to please yourself. I mean, I was perfectly happy with being able to sight read well and play something well, but it was more important to her how I did it, not that I did it. And I suppose there's a discipline to that that I could have done, but I ended up doing it and being miserable doing it mm-hmm. because I I was practicing where I really didn't need to or felt I need to. So so it, it was that idea of acquiescing to, I don't know if it's authority is the right phrase, but wh- whoever was holding the power at the time.
1: Yeah, that is so true. Now we need to take a brief commercial break, but then we'll be right back.
0: Chats from the blog cabin. Hit subscribe. And don't miss the next episode. Chats from the blog cabin.
2: Enjoying this episode? Leave a review now.
0: Do you feel betrayed by life, your body, or by someone that you love? You are not alone, and you are not weak or overly emotional for feeling the way that you do. Betrayal is one of the most overwhelmingly painful experiences to navigate because it strikes at the core of who you are and what you are worth. No matter how gutted you feel, there is hope. You can flourish, not in spite of your experience, but because of it. I know. After 23 years of marriage, my world was shattered when I found out that my husband had been cheating on me with five different women. For 15 years, I lost everything that day my identity, my worth, and the future I had worked so hard to create. While it was a long and arduous journey back to myself, today I know who I am, what I want, and I am happier and more confident than I ever was before. I've got what I call naked self worth, which is the ability to see. Know and love yourself for who you are, not for what you accomplished or for who you are in relation to others. No matter what has shattered your heart, if you're ready to get clear on who you are, what you want, and to learn how good life really can be, then life choreography is for you. Even if you feel too old or are too busy because you have kids at home and you're in charge of everything. Life Choreography is a comprehensive five month, five step program that empowers you to strip out of your labels, roles, and scripts and to reveal yourself as you are, not as you think you should be. To learn more, go to nakedselfworth.com and download your free guide that shows you how to untangle yourself from the past. Reclaim your sexy and start re choreographing life on your own terms so you can love and be loved for exactly who you most authentically are.
1: And we are back chatting with Sheila about her book, The Waterfall of Awakening. Now, Sheila, one of the things that really resonated with me is when you talked about your public self and your private self. So let's talk about that.
2: Yeah, um, that came about very young um, and uh, I was bullied quite a bit in um, junior high and high school when we moved from um, uh, Michigan to Ohio at, at that age. And. Um, and I think you, that began the process of putting on a public face versus knowing that this private person inside was really very, very sad. And, um, and it really, that's when the self-loathing portion of, of my existence really started to build itself. And that became the private person that I was. And, um, and yet the public person was always the happy, cheerful, mm. you know, doing everything, you know, thing. And uh, it wasn't until I really came through this process a few years back that I was able to reconcile that public and private face and and really realize that there wasn't a difference. It was just what I was willing to show to the world.
1: Yeah. And how did you get over to that point where you said, okay, I'm going to show the world me authentic whether I self love myself at this point or whatever, how did you get to the point where you wanted to write the book too as well? Because that had to be a little heart wrenching when you're going back and you're writing some of the things that happened to you in childhood.
2: Well, that's part of the journey too. That's part of the work. As you're writing about it, that really is. That's part of the reason it became a journal is that I realized that my writing through this process is part of what created the healing is that, that it pours out of your, you know, from out of your heart into your hand and then you can review it later and really begin to see where you were and where you've come to.
1: Yeah, so let's talk about the very first step that you took for into this journey. What was the very first, like, you know, you took care of your elderly mom until she passed away. What was that first step after she passed
2: away? What It was actually months after um she died in January and and that following fall, um, i uh, I booked a retreat to Portland, Oregon. I was born in oregon and and um, and so I booked a retreat uh, at rented a little cottage right on the Oregon coast. And originally, it was going to be a week. Um, and I really just spent the time sitting and looking at the water and really allowing myself to be completely disconnected. From the life I was living, and and to listen to the silence, and to give myself the space and the freedom to simply walk, or you know, look at the water, or you know, go see an old movie, or I mean, just just things that I, I my days were very very filled uh, with lots of activity um, of things I should do. So I spent that first uh, that first eight days. Uh, and when day eight came up, day seven came up. I was like, you know, I'm not ready to leave yet. So I, I extended the trip. I was able to extend the trip for a few more days, and I came back with a bit of um, with a bit of a framework of mm-hmm. of where, what I wanted to do next.
1: So how did all that self loathing um, create havoc in your personal life?
2: I made very very bad choices about relationships. Is probably the biggest the biggest thing is that um, been married twice. Neither of those marriages were um, good marriages. Um, they I married them for very wrong reasons, and I didn't come from a place of self love in doing that. So um, I I just didn't do it well. And uh, then my career. Um, it, I never really felt I could just do what I wanted to do. So if a promotion or an opportunity came up, I always took it because that was the only validation I was getting. Mm-hmm. And um, so whether you really wanted to do it or was it, whether it was healthy or it was good for you, it was like, well, they think I'm good, so I must be good, so therefore, you know, I should do this. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so it, it directs your path. In a way that's just not healthy, Um, poor eating choices, poor drinking choices, poor, I mean, uh, lots of of just bad choices built around not coming from a place of self-love and not acting for your highest good. And I think that's a a theme that you'll find in the book, too, that it's important that we all act for our highest good because in doing so, we act for the highest good of all.
1: Speaking of your book, I asked you to, in the talking points I sent you, to read part of your book. Are you ready to read part now?
2: I am. I don't know if it's a bit duplicative. I thought I would just read the opening two pages. Um, if. Uh, no, it's is- not
1: duplicate of what I just said. So you're good. <laughs> <laughs>
2: But it kind of gives you a lot of the background that you're talking about, you've been asking about, and I thought, well, this might be a good, you know, good thing to, to start with. So the first chapter of the book is called Laying the Groundwork. My journey of awakening began with my mother's death. Four years ago, I held her hand as she took her last breath. It seems an important story to tell because I do not think I'm alone in how my life unfolded, especially in my generation of 60 something aged women. It began with a robust recognition that there was a huge gap between who I had become and who I wanted to become so many decades later. I did not recognize the person I was at 60. And so I committed to embracing a journey that aligned my physical, emotional, and spiritual qualities and energies. As a starting point, I set out to determine the distance between who I was and who I desired to become. Then I undertook the first steps forward in search of awakening and recognizing and embracing my authentic self. I spent my entire life attempting to gain my mother's approval to no avail. She had inherited many generations of self loathing and remained captive to it her entire life. In handing it down to me, she included me in that same person and that same prison. My opportunity for self love was firmly dammed up behind a wall that I could not penetrate. I felt more relief than sadness on the day of her death. Exhausted from taking care of her in my home during her final weeks, I realized that I was gaining back a significant amount of time because I no longer needed to care for her. The day after her death, I flew to visit friends in Florida and decompress. The physical and emotional stress I had stoically pushed away for those last six weeks of her life began to surface as I sat in my seat on the airplane. Upon arriving at my friend's home, I simply collapsed for a few days. I began to emerge from the fog and started to see that I'd been given a gift. I had been released from that eternal grip of her judgment and disapproval. And I understood more deeply than I also, that also that I'd also been given the gift of time. I resolved that I would not fill those caregiving hours with anything I should do. I would take time to explore what I wanted to do and refuse to seek approval from anyone but myself for those choices. But having lived a life full of shoulds and being the good daughter, I had no idea how to go about that. I started by looking at the relationships I'd built for decades, assessing whom I was friends with, what I got out of that friendship, what he, she got out of that relationship and whether the time had come to stop investing in it. So one of the first things I did was to begin shaping my circle. It became more like a dartboard and I was moving people out layer by layer, making that space made room for new people to move in. The flavor of those relationships was much different. I was connecting with people who were more spiritual, more interested in giving than receiving. In my trusting way, I thought everyone who crossed my path would be suitable for me and that they would have either valuable wisdom to impart to me or something that would enhance building a wanted life. As it turns out, that was not true. My initiation into really starting the journey of awakening was later that same year. My days at home were filled with commitments to others, many unfulfilling friendships and a general unhappiness the source of which I could not identify. It became clear to me that I needed to schedule time and space away from my life, so I booked a trip to the place that I was born, Portland, Oregon. I had not returned there since I was almost four years old, and it seemed like the right place to start, the beginning. I'll share more about that adventure later, but through that retreat, a glimmer of hope had begun to grow. A seed of what was ahead for me had been planted. I had no idea what the future would look like, but it was compelling enough that I extended the trip by several days and continued to build that tiny little light inside of me. The cracks of the dam were appearing. Little did I know I had started a waterfall.
1: Wow. Now there's a couple of things I wanted to piggyback off what you just read. At the age of 60, most people at the age of 60 would not think about contemplating their life. Most of them are set in their ways and not want to do anything. So I Know your mom's death was a catalyst, but was there ever a thought in your mind where I can't do this? I'm too set in my ways. No, that's
2: really funny. And I, I you know, in the 60s, the new 40, right? Or something mm-hmm. like that, anyway. Yep. But, but I, you know, people I've had people say, I think I'm too old to go down this road. I think I'm too old to do. And, and, in the book I say, you know, if you're still breathing, you're not too old, it's never too late. And, you know, at, at worst, I'm in my fourth quarter, maybe who knows, right? So, uh-huh. um. So there's a really significant portion of life left for me that that um, i'm really excited about
1: i love that and the second thing is you talked about how you had a tumultuous relationship with your mom how has that helped you become a better parent to your son
2: you know i'm not quite sure it did because i'm not quite sure you know having not awakened to the last four years i think i probably you know gifted a bit of this to my son as well and we've chatted about that we've talked about thats that, is that you know, my and I ended up being the the primary um, provider for my my household while he was younger. And so I wasn't home that much. I was traveling a lot for business. I was doing, you know, doing a lot of of just corporate stuff. Mm-hmm. and um, and I think that perhaps he might have suffered a bit from that. I just to be honest about it. and um, and but we really are trying to be open with each other now for how we can make sure that our relationship is is shaped. Uh, as healthily as possible. Not to say that we've ever had a bad relationship. That's mm-hmm. not what I'm saying. But, but the nurturing piece of that, I'm not quite sure. Sir, I was, you know, that gifted at back then. So. But
1: you're able to recognize it and realize you can change it before there was no way to change it at all.
2: Yeah, truth, truth.
1: And I absolutely love that because a lot of people think that because that's the way their parents parented them, that's the way they're supposed to parent to them their children. And I think that's so wrong. I think we need to break that. Like you said, generational cycle that keeps going on and on and on and on and on.
2: The gift that keeps on giving.
1: (laughs) Yes, very much so. (laughs) Um, There's a couple of more things I know I like Start and let's talk about looking in the mirror. That that part in the book when you talk about looking in the mirror and look at yourself in the mirror. Let's talk about how you do that.
2: Because Um, and I've talked to so many women where this is you know you look at yourself in the mirror and all you see is what you're critical of right Mm -hmm. you see that you know my eyes are this my nose is this my teeth are this my hair is this my you know and then you start to work your way down your body and it could you know it's just it's that constant you know it's just that constant self-criticism and and um and I I do really think that it's important to look in the mirror and smile at yourself. Like you are your best friend until you believe you're your best friend, because some of this is fake it till you make it because you've got to really pull this stuff together and really say to yourself, you know, you are absolutely gorgeous. You are a wonderful person. I love you more than any other person in my life, you know, and to give yourself that grace of self-love and it takes these very tangible actions or it did for me anyway, very tangible statements to myself, looking at myself, in order to start breaking down those barriers that resist really believing that.
1: Yeah, that's so true because if we don't love ourselves, how can we love other people? Truth. Has there ever been a moment when in the four years that you've been on this journey that you've backslided and you've had to like kick negative thoughts out of your head?
2: Oh, absolutely. I would say every week. I mean, this is we're human, you know. We this is all, um, and and there's always old triggers that come back, or there's you know the it's just it's always a work in progress. Um, but now the percentage of time that I'm feeling really great about how my life is going and how things are, you know, how things are unfolding, versus the time I'm going, oh my God, what's happening? What just happened? What do I have to go do? I mean, you know, and 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 being uh, worried or. Um, or uh, sad, uh, mm-hmm. are, are falling are falling away. But we're human. We always have work to do. And there's always outside influences that that challenge us to really be true to ourselves.
1: That is so true. And has there been, you're talking about outside influences, has there been people that once you started changing your life around and started loving yourself more, have there been people that you're like, I can't be around you because you're so toxic? Or have there been people that responded that, Oh, I don't like the new Sheila. I'm just not going to associate with her anymore.
2: Yeah. There's been some difficult conversations in the last few years. There's been some, some very deliberate movement of um, some people in my life away from me. And, um, and it's been, it's been difficult. And I I won't say it hasn't, I haven't had Mm -hmm. some, um, not regret, but some sadness over, you know, the, the need to, to, to make some of those changes. I think in every situation, it was best for both of us. Mm. And, and so I think that's the thing that we have to think about is not just, and that doing the right thing for yourself is not selfish. Mm. It's just being simply true to yourself. And so things happen as they're supposed to and um, and people have moved out more naturally. In, um, but, but as I said, you know, in the couple pages, I read some wonderful people have moved in Um, I don't know if anyone has, has moved away because they're uncomfortable with the changes that I'm making. Um, if they have, um, they have chosen not to share that with me.
1: I love that. Now let's talk about just putting caution to the wind and buying your house in France, because that's like everybody's dream is to buy a house in a foreign country.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Um, so I have been going to France uh off and on for the last 20 years there's a couple there that i have gotten to know that do uh, did they've retired wine walks um, and so i i took a number of those over a period of time to the various vineyards and regions in france and became friends with them over the years and visited there where their home area is and um and so it just was france was a place that i enjoyed going to and not really any more than that but I had dinner with um, a friend of theirs in a little tiny hamlet. And as we were walking out from dinner, uh, she uh, just sort of took her hand and said, I bet you can buy the house next door for nothing. Well, I wasn't looking for a house in France, so mm-hmm. I didn't think about it. And I and, uh, got home and a couple weeks later, I woke up and said, I wonder how much nothing is in France. And uh, turns out it's pretty close to nothing. So I ended up buying the home and didn't look at any other houses didn't do it just was like and this is the thing about you following the path is that that if you just really check in and say should I and it, it, because I want to not because I should um, then then uh, and and if you you're able to do it uh, if it's not something that that causes you you know harm or pain then um, then go so it took a little bit to uh, to get that transaction done and and it's been under renovation for the last couple of years because it is 250 years old. And, um, and so, but now I'm able to stay in it. And after COVID, I'll be able to now visit it pretty regularly.
1: Is that someplace that you're thinking of maybe retiring to later?
2: I answer those questions with, I didn't know four years ago I was going on that journey. So I don't speculate about what the next year is gonna bring other than to know I'll be open to whatever it is.
1: See, I love that. And that's why I think that's one of the things that resonated too in the book was that you only every day is the new beginning. Like you said in your book that each day brings new possibilities. So you don't plan too much in the future. Now you just kind of live for the moment, live in the day. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Cause, because you might miss something.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Now i am sure there's sure there was a lot of anxiety around buying the house because like you said, you bought the house. You didn't look at any other houses. You didn't even know what was on the market. Um, I think in the book you said really basically you bought it sight unseen. You hadn't really gone inside. So let's talk about that because that's something that would scare anybody. But to be able to take that leap of just, you know, like I'm just going to buy this house. I, don't, I haven't even seen the inside of it. I'm going to buy it not knowing how much work was going to need to go into it.
2: Yeah, that does sound a little irresponsible, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> so, but I guess from my perspective, it was the natural next thing. Um, I didn't really question moving forward with it. And I have to say, in all honesty, the anxiety, it, it, there really wasn't fear attached to it or um, anxiety. It it was more just Gosh, what's next? Gosh, what's next? Oh, that's a hard step. Oh, that's, I mean, it just, um, my friends there were helpful for closing on the house because all the documents Mm -hmm. are in French and, uh, someone said, well, how could you sign all these documents that, you know, you can't Mm -hmm. read? And I laughed and said, when you buy a house in the United States, what do you do? You look and make sure the math adds up on that page Mm -hmm. and the radon test is below wherever it's supposed to be. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, you sign the paperwork, right? So, (laughs) (laughs) um, so my, my friends were very helpful in, in facilitating that. And I've also been very, very lucky that I found a contractor who I trust completely. And he has taken care of uh, everything himself. And, and, uh, and so I've, I've just, I would call it luck, but I don't think it's luck. I think it's what was meant to happen, so.
1: Has there ever been a moment where you're like, what the heck did I just do? What did I get myself into?
2: that's a great question uh i'm sure there probably were moments of that when something would have happened but i don't i don't recall any like serious like sit down and rethink whether i should have really done this kind of moments um in in any of it
1: i love that now getting back to the book i love the way that you actually wrote about your experience but you also gave a lot of different lined paper so people can journal in it. Why did you decide
2: to do that? I mentioned before, part of my journey was really important that I, I journaled for myself and that I began to really look for the truth in the words that I wrote down. And I really tried to do it in a relatively inspired way with the sense of that I just really opened myself up to the universe to say, what is it that wants to flow through me to be written on this page today that i need to know or that i need to share or whatever the the request the appropriate request might be and i found that in doing that my truths came out more clearly and more quickly that that by not limiting what I was writing, by just writing. And I hand wrote for a long time. I didn't, I didn't write on the computer for a long time. I hand wrote because I felt that the kinetic connection mm-hmm. between my hand and my brain and my heart, that it was important to create that. And sometimes it was only a half a page and sometimes it was pages and pages. But, but because I found the process so v- valuable and because I found the journey I didn't have any guidance for how I might do the journey. I just opened myself up and then let the journey unfold in front of me. The idea of the book then became, well, maybe this is a tool that other women can use that maybe they don't have to start from scratch. Maybe that, that if my story resonates that perhaps some of my journey by sharing it and giving the opportunity for others to to experience and write in the same way that, that, that maybe they can you know, kind of get there a little more quickly than I did. (laughs) I love that. A little
1: bit more quickly. Now let's talk about um, a reader picks up your book. What should they expect from the book? How should they approach it?
2: Okay. That's a great question. Um, The beginning of the book is simply my memoir. It simply tells the story of, and, and, you know, it's not a complete autobiography. It's really those moments in my life and those things in my life that, that really I can point back to that shaped what turned me into where I got to at sixty. Um, so it really sort of lays that groundwork, and then there's 38 lessons that follow. Um, some of which are musings, some of which are meditations, some of which are, you know, ask, really ask you to ask some questions of yourself and really do some self exploration. Um, and, and then as it moves itself and it's not in any particular order, by the way, that's it's the, it's that you don't start with lesson one and move through to lesson 38, right? It's really intended to be find the thing. There's, you know, things on grief, there's things on loss, there's things on, you know, various, um, uh, the, the value of friction. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of different topics mm-hmm. that, that you'll find there, but, but it concludes hopefully in a, in a way that, that we will all find inspirational. Um, that we that we once we get to this point of awakening that that we allow that to inspire others to the same journey
1: I love what you just said that not necessarily you have to go through and read each chapter in, in succession with the other you can pick and choose sometimes what you're dealing with I love that because a lot of people think that when they get a book they have to start at the beginning and then finish and that's it's from beginning to end and not in between, not the messy parts in between, but a lot of times the messy parts are in between are when we learn the most.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Now, did you ever get closure with your mom when she before she died? Or was this kind of like a way to get closure as well?
2: I did not get closure uh, with my mother before she died. Uh, the, I was given, someone very wise said to me, people die as they live. And I had a number of people say, oh, I'm sure that you and your mother, those last six weeks when she was in your living room, you know, in her hospital bed, that you talked through everything. And I was like, mm, not so much. <laughs> so so she, when she died, that did, not, that did not happen. But through this process, I will tell you that I feel like we are in a very good place. I very much feel like I understand more of what, her, what was in her life that created the person she was with me and i have truly forgiven and released her and uh if you believe these things feel like that she's you know on the sidelines now Mm -hmm. coaching me and offering insight and and being supportive so i do and as you see i dedicated my book to her Mm -hmm. um because without her you know i i think she really did give me the gift of courage
1: i love that Let's talk about the relief that you got to finally say, okay, mom, even though she's not there, wasn't there to actually get the closure. You're like, okay, I forgive you. That relief, that burden that just lifted off your shoulder. How did you feel at that moment?
2: Uh, that's, it was like a burden had been lifted off my shoulders. That, 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 that feeling, I don't know if you can, that feeling of your heart opening, that feeling mm-hmm. of that that release and the relaxation of knowing that it's okay to love myself and I don't have to listen to that voice and that voice is gone Mm. is um, it's one of the most freeing feelings I've of my life.
1: Now, do you have anything else in the works besides this book? Do you have another book you think coming out of you? Oh, you're smiling.
2: I got to answer it the same way I did about how are you going to move to France? I, (laughs) um, right now I'm really focused on, on, you know, getting this message out and trying to, you know, trying to start this part of my journey and in in, uh, in being more public about about all of this, it would appear there's a book on France kind of forming up a bit because the stories there are just so incredible. Uh, but I would like to weave it still in the same theme of of what what this book has done is what are the lessons that that living a wonderful life can teach us.
1: Yeah, I love that. Do you see yourself coaching through this journal? I see you as a coach as going through and coaching people to how to get over trauma and how to get out of the should mentality to the, I want to, I need to mentality.
2: Yeah, um, I do. I have on my website started uh, some workshops. Uh, There'll be one day facilitated workshops Uh, right now. I've really thought about doing them in person. This feels like a pretty intimate experience have to work through the mechanics of, of some of that. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so that's the workshops are part of what will happen. Now has your
1: son read this book?
2: He's read pieces of this book. Uh, I, I don't, he has not read it from beginning to end.
1: So what were his responses to some of the
2: pieces? There's a piece of him that's in a place that he doesn't really want to know all the information. Mm. Uh, and I, I absolutely admire him for being self-aware enough to know that. And so I give him a lot of credit for having that, having that position. Uh, And he's not really surprised by things because I've been pretty open about things, but, um, but more reflective, I would say. Oh, I love that. The fact that he, you're, aware
1: that he is uncomfortable with some of the things in the book that you're like okay you don't have to read it but I think if your mom had written the book and had wanted you to read it I think the reaction would have been totally different so you've yes. learned, you have learned you have learned from that and I love the way that it, it's taking you and you're shaping your relationship with your son to be a different type of dynamic yeah thank you um our time is almost up do you have one last little nugget that you want to share with people
2: if there's one thing I would like anyone to take away from the book is that you are not alone, that there is someone else that is experiencing your journey and finding those people and finding the people that you can can resonate with and, and learn with and resolve some of these things with, I think is so important. And that we as women tend not to talk about these things mm-hmm and especially the mommy thing, mm-hmm. um, and that it, that this book, I hope, gives women permission to have that conversation and to do their own work and to know that, that there's many, many other women out there that are on that same path.
1: And that's true. A lot of women feel like they can't show their true self to people because of fear of judgment, a lot of fear of judgment, because I know judgment, like, rules everybody in life. It's only when you say, you know what, I'm going to be who I am, regardless of what you think about me. But it's hard. It's, I'm an Enneagram, too. I don't know if you're familiar any, any with the Enneagrams, but Enneagram, too, has the fear of uh, being rejected. They like to be liked. They like to be helpful. And so it's hard when you're coming out and you're trying to be authentic, but you're like in the back of your mind, like, what if they don't like me because of what I'm saying or what I'm doing
2: or how I'm doing it? that's that's a great point, and the only the only comment I would make is when you're being true to yourself, the rest of it does begin to fall away. I love that.
1: So tell people where they
2: can find you at, Sheila. Well, my website is Sheila van Zyl, my name dot com, and there you you can see my blogs. you can read my blogs., uh, you can purchase my book uh, and or you could. Book a workshop. We've got all kinds of things that uh, you can do on there so you can wander around, see some of the other podcasts and radio interviews that I've I've done as well. Uh, I have a Facebook page, Sheila Van author. Uh, I do repost my blogs on there and just, you know, it's a nice little community. But those are my two main spaces.
1: Now, when you're talking about your workshops, I'm going to add that in real quick. Um, are you willing to do workshops for like women owned businesses and things like that as well?
2: Yes, I've actually done a a podcast where it was about the impact of these kind of relationships on the business environment uh, and especially as it as it relates to trust. So there is because there's a lot of that that, you know, has been eroded over time for women, especially in in, over the decades.
1: Yeah, that is so true. So, Sheila, I want to thank you so much for coming on. Um, Guys, I will put in the show notes everywhere you can find Sheila, as well as where you can find her book waterfall of awakening and i love the waterfall on the cover and i love the way you weaved it into that very first two pages you already talked about the water the cracks and the waterfall coming um i want to thank you for coming on sharing your life writing a book i think like i said that it's never been a book that resonated as much as it resonated with me on this one i mean wow. the first couple of pages i was already like is she i'm thinking to myself is she reading writing my story so i really want to thank you for that and um Thank you for coming on and sharing it with my viewers and my listeners.
2: Melissa, thank you so much for having me today. I've enjoyed this completely.
1: All right, guys. Um, um, We will see you on the next chat from the Blog Cabin. Be blessed. And most importantly, keep chatting.
0: Bye. Chats from the Blog Cabin. We not only have voices for a podcast, but also... Faces for YouTube. Don't miss your next episode.